All right, I think we're uh, ready to get started now. My name is Wright Draper, seminary student at Westminster in California, um, specifically Escondido, uh, which is in San Diego. Uh, Ed got in, in touch with me and asked me if I'd be interested in teaching a Sunday school about uh, the Lord preparing me for seminary, bringing me to seminary, and just my seminary experience in general. Um, so I said I'd be, be happy to... Um, be happy to talk about those things. Um, and as we get started, though, let me open up with a, a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for another day of worship. Thank you for setting aside the Lord's day for your people to rest from our labor, our work, and our efforts, to come together as the body of believers and worship and praise your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would give us hearts to uh, understand and receive your word and illuminate our minds to grasp the things of your word. Father, fill our hearts with joy and, and love and praise to you. Please bless our fellowship and our time together in the ministry or by the ministry of your spirit. And we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. So, yeah, I'd like to talk about uh, how the Lord prepared me for seminary. Um, I think if I had to title my talk this morning, I would say I want to look at um, meditating on God's providence. I'd, I, I want to talk about my seminary experience and how God prepared me and, and things like that. But I want to talk about God's Word and specifically the providence of God in our lives because I hope that this message um, will encourage all of us to consider God's providence in our lives and to remember the events and the circumstances that God has uh, brought us through in order to encourage us and give us gratitude towards God for the things that he's done. So I want to talk about meditating on God's providence, on the meditation of God's providence. Uh, meditation is, is not uh, the humming kind of activity. We're not musing over general truths or abstract truths like love or justice or whatever it might be. Rather, to meditate means to consider, to contemplate, to ponder the truths of God's Word and specific things that have taken place in the history of redemption. So God's people are called to ponder and remember the things that God has done for His people throughout history. So we're called to remember to remember what God has done. This is, this is a command, this is a call, this is a charge for God's people. And even in Psalm 106, the psalmist writes about exactly what I'm talking about, the history of redemption, how God has made promises to His people and brought His people out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, brought them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness. And the problem with the Israelites that the psalmist brings out is that they failed to remember what God had done for them. And so just to, to read a few verses, the command in verse 4 of Psalm 106, Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your salvation, that I may glory in your inheritance. In verse 7, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. And here's the problem. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. 
Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known to them his mighty power. Verse 10, he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. Verse 13, but they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Likewise, verse 21, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things for them, wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. And so the, the charge for the church, for believers, is to remember what God has done for us, lest we forget. Remember the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, not only in our lives, but in the history of the church, and particularly in, in Scripture. This is not only a, a, in Psalm 106, but the charge to remember is, is really in a lot of different places in Scripture. I'm even reminded of Deuteronomy 5, um, another place in Scripture where the, the Ten Commandments are given, um, or at least retold in Deuteronomy. And for the Sabbath day, Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, I'll read it in a second, but um, he adds something for the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He adds something in this particular text that's not in Exodus 20 on the, the remembering the Lord's day that I think is significant, especially for our talk this morning. Um, verse 12 of chapter 5, Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. That's part of the Sabbath day rest, remembering that God has redeemed us, that he's purchased us, that he's bought us and delivered us from our slavery to specifically sin. So there's a, a charge to remember for the church, to remember God's work in the history of redemption. But, but even, I think it's so useful, so beneficial in our own lives to remember how God has ordered and orchestrated all the events of our lives from our birth to who our parents were to our elementary school teachers, our coaches, our mentors that we might have had, the college that we decided to go to, the neighborhood that we grew up in, all of those things teach us that God was orchestrating and organizing all of those things for his people. And I think it's extremely valuable to think about those things in relationship to our lives. And so I want to talk about meditating, meditating on the providence of God, specifically the providence of God, the sovereignty of God. We believe in a God who is sovereign. We believe in a God who orchestrates, who orders. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing is, is a whim or a mistake or um, a chance. God orders, orchestrates, plans, and executes all of his decrees. That's what it means when we say that God is a sovereign God and a providential 
God. We don't believe things happen by chance. Events in our lives may certainly feel random, may certainly feel unpredictable, but not to our God. God knows exactly what's going to happen, and He foreordains and executes exactly what He intends to happen. I'm reminded of the Shorter Catechism number 12. What is providence? God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all His creatures and all their actions. It's a beautiful summary of what providence means. It's His most wise, holy, and powerful preserving and governing, governing of all His creatures and their actions. God preserves and governs. He preserves His people. Think of the attempts from the world, from persecutors, to smother the church. And yet God, throughout all the ages, from the beginning of creation, God has preserved His church from extinction. God has preserved His people. Psalm 104, you can turn there if you'd like, um, is a wonderful psalm that teaches us about God's preservation in creation, His preservation of His people, His preservation of creatures, of all the creatures, how all animals, land creatures in the sky and the sea look to God to provide for them that all of these creatures are dependent on God, their Creator, to sustain and provide for them. Psalm 104, um, actually Genesis 1 and 2, teaches us the mighty power of God in creation. Psalm 104 teaches us the mighty power of God in providence. When we talk about our God's a powerful God, we usually go to Genesis 1 and 2 to demonstrate that he created the world out of absolutely nothing by the very word of his mouth. When we talk about God's power and providence, Psalm 104 is an excellent place to begin. And I just want to read a few verses here, beginning in verse 5. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. For your lofty abode, from your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that they may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees are the Lord, the trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fig trees, the high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun knows its time for setting, 
You made darkness and its night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out of his work and to his labor until evening. And then the, the, the doxology almost. Oh, Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and renew the face of the ground. The Lord, our God, is powerful in preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions to the food they eat, the water that they drink, the company that they enjoy, All of those things are credited to the providence and sovereignty, wisdom, power of God. And that's exactly what the Catechism says, that it is His most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing. Holy, meaning that everything that God does is holy. He cannot be charged with wrong. He cannot be accused of wrongdoing. All of His works of sovereignty and providence are holy, and he is able in his wisdom to take even the most unfortunate, sinister, evil events and turn them for good towards his creatures, towards his children, towards those who love him. Like Romans 8, 28 says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. God is powerfully preserving and governing all his creatures. I think also of Matthew 6. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink, what you will put on. And if you do, the instruction or the advice that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount is to go outside and to look at the birds of the heavens. Ponder that. Go look at the birds outside. If you worry about your own food or your own clothing or your own life. Consider the creation. Go outside and ponder that God provides for the birds of the air. Another catechism. um, This is Heidelberg catechism, Catechism question number one. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready now to live for him. So just very simply, the charge for God's people is to meditate on the providence of God, to consider that God is powerful, that he's wise, that he's holy, that he's preserving his people, that he's governing his people, that he's, he's not absent and asleep 
um, and distant from his people, he's involved in every single thing that happens in our lives, every single thing that takes place. So that's kind of just the background. I'm glad we could get into the Word and consider the providence of God, the power of God, and those things. But I do want to go with Ed's advice and talk about how God, in His providence, prepared me specifically for Westminster Seminary in California. Um, And I I really can't talk about being prepared to go. In some sense, I feel like any time a seminary student talks about being prepared to, God preparing him to go to seminary, in some sense, I feel like it has to include a degree of his testimony of how God worked in his life or her life to bring that individual to seminary. So part of my testimony, um, I really can't share without talking about my parents, my mom and dad, Glenn and Ashley Draper. They are um, really my best friends. I I love them. I I love any opportunity I get to talk about my, my mom and my dad. They had a profound influence on me as a boy, as a young adult, as an individual right now. Uh, my parents, uh, from a young age, specifically my dad, taught me the scriptures. Um, I remember so distinctly going to uh, basketball practice, baseball practice, soccer practice, whatever it might be, a game or an event, to church, to school. Dad was always encouraging uh, his kids, five of them, I'm one of five, encouraging his kids to memorize scripture in the Bible. And um, my dad certainly set a standard for that. He, he's probably memorized all of the New Testament. People quiz him usually and say, hey, what's 2 Thessalonians 3.12 or something just on the spot. And he's usually able to just rattle it off and, and a few verses at a time. He has an incredible memory. So I was raised with a father who had that ability that I, I looked up to, but also a man who really challenged us to memorize, to ponder uh, God's Word, to memorize verses, to memorize um, chapters of God's Word. And by the grace of God, um, I listened to my dad. We would go to baseball practice. He'd say, let's memorize Romans 1.16, from not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And let's go to Romans 3.23, for the, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he would encourage and challenge me, and, I, and by the grace of God, I loved my dad and I trusted my dad. And so I would memorize all these Bible verses at probably anywhere between the ages of 8 and 15 or so, and I didn't really understand uh, what they all meant. I, I didn't put any the pieces of all these verses together, but I trusted my dad and wanted to memorize these verses. My dad not only encouraged us to memorize Bible verses, he also taught devotionals at our school. Um, with five kids, he would rotate in elementary school. Uh, Mondays, he was with one of my sisters. Tuesdays, he was with my other sister's class. Wednesdays, he was with my class, and, and so on. And just each morning, he would teach a devotional to the, the students. And um, I, I always enjoyed that. As a seventh grade boy, I think I was 12 or 13, he taught me Second Timothy. We just got together in um, the master bedroom and sat on the floor, opened up Second Timothy, and really just went one verse at a time. And I still remember some of the things my dad taught me as a 12-year-old, telling me about this man named Paul and Timothy who 
had a grandmother Lois and a, a mother Eunice who both were believers as well, and it's been passed on to Timothy as well, and that Paul was a, a teacher, an apostle, and, and even in, I distinctly remember my dad telling me about a man named Jim Elliott from, well, he taught me 2 Timothy 2, 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And he stole, told me about the story of Jim Elliott um, when people would ask him to sign his, uh, their annuals, um, school annuals. He would write that verse on it. And I, I remember learning about a man named Jim Elliott and thinking about that verse and pondering that verse and wanting to be like a man, Jim Elliott. Um, Car rides, oh my word, I never thought so much ministry could be done in a car. <laughs> um, on the way to school, we lived about, we lived probably about 40 minutes away from our school and church. And uh, my dad would either uh, play Christian music, uh, his dad was a choir director, um, and would play a lot of his music, or a sermon. Uh, I, I probably heard a, a very many sermons um, as a as a kid, Bible verses, all these sorts of things. My, my dad loved to pr play the, the sermons and the Christian music. My mom, um, when she would take us to school, loved to pray for us. And for 40 minutes, she would just, just pray for all of us. And, and honestly, I think my mom started doing that because it was the only thing that would keep all the kids in the back from fighting. <laughs> It's the only thing that kept us quiet, you know? But I, I remember it distinctly. I, and the thing that I took away with most um, about my parents, they taught me so much, but I, I really didn't grasp it all until later. And, and what, I, what I, I hope is encouraging and what I usually try to tell people, what I took away from the first probably 12 or 15 years of my life was not particular doctrines that my, my parents tried to instill and teach me, what I really saw in my parents was that they loved God. They loved Jesus Christ. They loved the church. You can't hide that. Your, your kids can see that in you. If you really love the church, if you really love Jesus Christ, and we saw that, um, and, and it's, it's noticeable, it's perceivable, um, and I remember saying as a, I think I was 15, 16, I, I might have been in ninth or 10th grade at this time, I remember saying, I want to love God like my dad loves God. That's the kind of love that I want to have for God. And I remember asking my dad, how do you love God like this? How do you, how do you love God so much? I, don't, I didn't understand it, but I saw it. And he, he encouraged me, he said, Keep reading God's Word. Keep reading God's Word. Keep being faithful in church. And your love, your knowledge of God's love for you will augment and, cre and increase your love for Him. So he encouraged me to continue to read the Scriptures and be in church. All of those things certainly prepared me for college and many ministry opportunities there as a chaplain in a fraternity um, as a that was my I was a chaplain in a fraternity my sophomore year in my junior year I took a position to be a chaplain over all the fraternities on uh, this particular college campus Auburn University uh, many opportunities for ministry opened up and and what I realized during those years my mom and dad taught me so many foundational things that I, I didn't really 
fully or entirely appreciate or grasp until I got to college when I could use and implement those kinds of things. Because when I became a chaplain, I remember thinking, wow, you know, I've got a lot of these Bible verses memorized um, in the back of my mind. And I, I don't fully understand, you know, the whole epistle of Romans, but I know a number of verses in there, and we can kind of just take it chunks at a time and look through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and go on from there. So little did I realize that those foundational years of my childhood would be very significant for the ministry and and college. Um, Each summer I I worked at different churches, either as a youth director or a college intern. I went on four uh, mission trips that were very certainly influential for me as well. But the Lord was, all of these things were, I look back at my life now and think, wow, God was organizing and orchestrating all of these things in my life, particularly my parents, my, my mentors, my pastors, my uh, school teachers, my coaches, um, up until college as well. Um, all of these things certainly, I think, were preparing me for going to seminary. I, I, I remember teaching a Bible study when I was in 11th grade to um, sixth graders at the time. I, I the football coach came up to me and said, hey, would you be interested in, in facilitating a, uh, a Bible study to sixth graders? And I thought he meant like, I'm going to lead the Bible study and you kind of sit on the side and maybe pitch a few things in here and there. And I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And so I show up the first day. It was Thursday mornings at about 6 a.m. And uh, he kind of sits off at the side and was like, all right, man, you're up. And I was like, boy, I thought you were teaching, you know, and so I, I, that was a, a wonder. I remember going through that Bible study with those sixth graders and thinking, wow, um, I wonder if I could do this for a job. I wonder if, 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 I, if the Lord would call me to be a pastor one day to teach people the Bible. Um, what a, a joy it was to open up the scriptures and, and not talk about ourselves, but to talk about what Christ has, has done. And so all of those things were certainly preparatory for me coming to seminary. Um, I, right after college, I graduated in 2018, took a job back in my hometown, Montgomery, Alabama, at Eastwood Prez. And um, yeah, that was, um, I was a student, a seminary student at RTS Seminary, Reformed Theological Seminary. I had 19, 20 credits under my belt. And the January of 2021, I planned to enroll full-time at RTS Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina. I was actually in communication with a friend who's already a student, and he said, hey, I'd love to live with you, and I'd be interested in even uh, helping you out with rent, doing a 60-40 rent split. And so I remember thinking, this is, you know, this is it, that the Seminary also had some scholarships available, and, and I thought, okay, I think it's time to end my job in, in Montgomery at Eastwood and go full-time and finish my degree at RTS Charlotte. And this is probably the craziest part of God's providence in, in my life. Um, in February of that year, so I, I talked with my friend in January. A month later, I got a call from a pastor in Houston, Texas, who asked me if I'd be interested in being his young adults minister and finishing my degree at RTS Houston. And so I said, man, that sounds great. Yeah, I'm very interested. And he said, okay, well, it's going to be a three-stage interview. First two interviews will be on Zoom. Third interview will fly you out here. 
And this was Houston, Texas, if I didn't say this yet. And so I said, okay, um, but is there any way we could do the fly-out thing first, and then we could do the, the Zoom interviews after? Because i, I got to let my friend in Charlotte know if I'm going to live with him or not, because he needs to sign a lease. And he said, I'm sorry, I understand, but that's just protocol. That's the way we have to do it. So I said, okay, we'll go through it. So I went through two Zoom interviews, uh, really uh, enjoyed it. It went well, good interviews. It was probably about March, April. Uh, my friend in Charlotte said, I need to know if you're going to live with me or not. I got to sign a lease. And I said, Houston, Houston sounds too good to be true. I think that's where I'm going to end up. Go ahead and re-sign your lease. I have one more interview. Things are going well so far. Go ahead and re-sign your lease. So he signed his lease. And third stage of the interview, they flew me out there, and that didn't take place until May 12th. It was Mother's Day weekend, and um, it was also a good interview. I enjoyed it, but didn't, things didn't sit well with me. Maybe some yellow flags, maybe um, I didn't have a piece about it, whatever you might say. So I declined the job offer. And I remember thinking, it's mid-May, if I go to Charlotte, I'm not going to live with the guy that I wanted to live, nor would I have a 60-40 rent split anymore. Um, Houston's certainly off the list, um, and I need to be in seminary at the, in this fall, just a few months from now. So I started looking into Westminster in California. In the midst of the chaos of everything that was going on, I started thinking, you know, why not go all the way across the country? Why not look at Westminster in California and see if there's any opening? So I talked to my pastor, and I said, do you think I'm crazy for wanting to leave sweet home Alabama and go all the way over to Southern California? And he said, no, I think it's a great idea. He said, in fact, you should talk to one of our elders who serves on the board out there. He's flying out there tomorrow to go to graduation and board meetings. I bet if you got in contact with him, he would set you up with a place to live, people to meet, a tour of the seminary, all those kinds of things. So I said, you bet. So I, I got off the phone. I called him that Monday, and he said, I'll get everything organized for you. You book the flight, and we'll see you on Friday. So I booked a flight that day to fly out that Friday. Went for the weekend, stayed with two students on campus, um, really met the professors, uh, attended graduation, loved my stay there. I knew without a doubt this was where the Lord was calling me, but I didn't know how anything was going to work. At this point, it's... Um, very end of May, beginning of June. If I go to Westminster, which at this time I'm, I'm saying I'm going, you know, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm going. And if I go, I got to leave July 15th. I got to leave in a month and a half, which means I, I have to tell my family goodbye. I have to leave a job. I have to travel across the country. I have to get new insurance. I have to um, find a place to live. I got to get accepted. I hadn't even applied at the seminary yet. I was like, I need to, first I got to get accepted. But I knew that this was where the Lord was calling me, even though I didn't know how anything was going to work. And before I left, I spoke with the housing director and I said, I know you guys offer housing on campus and it's the first week of June. Is there any openings for this fall for a student to live on the fall? And he said, no, it's all booked. All booked for the next year. And I said, well, do you think it's worth filling out a application? And he goes, you know, you never know. Go fill out an application and just see what happens. So I submitted an application for housing. I submitted an application to the seminary. Um, and about three weeks later, uh, third week of June, or at least the whole month of June, 
I'm telling my family, I'm telling my mentors, I'm telling my friends, I'm telling my pastors, I'm telling my students at the church, uh, calling insurance agencies, all these kinds of things. I'm, I'm going. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. I don't know who my friends are going to be. I don't know what church I'm going to go to. I don't know any of these details, but I'm going to go. I trust that this is where the Lord's leading me, and I'm going to walk in faith one step at a time. And so, third week of June, I got a call <laughs> from the housing director, and he said, you wouldn't believe it. A room just opened up. Two guys, the two guys that you stayed with when you came for the visit end of May, they just decided to split a room, which opened up a room in the three-bedroom apartment. Do you want it? And I said, absolutely, I'll, I'll take it. Now I know where I'm going to live. And he said, good news for you, there's already a bed there, a desk there, and a dresser, so you won't have to worry about pulling those things all the way across the country. So third week of June, that takes place. Um, I get word, too, from the seminary about scholarships as well. I think that might have been first week of July, um, maybe the second week of July. Um, so that, that was greatly encouraging to see the Lord providing there as well. And I, I had to leave July 15th because class started July 20th. Um, and I had to take a Greek placement test on July 19th. It was the most um, tumultuous, um, I think it was a total of about five weeks from June to five, six weeks, June to mid-July. Um, but it was probably, probably at no point in my life um, did I trust the hand of God more, despite the fact that nothing made sense. And that's not any credit to me by any means. That's all the grace that God supplies to his church and to his people in the midst of trials. He supplies you the grace to trust him even when life is chaotic and it doesn't make sense to you because God wants to teach his people, I am your father. I am a sovereign God. I am orchestrating all the events that take place in your life. And so he wants us to trust him in the midst of those kinds of situations. And seminary's been a joy. It's really um, an answer to so many prayers um, since I was a kid and in high school years and college years, and, and not just my prayers, but I think prayers from others as well. Um, immensely grateful to be there with the faculty, the students. I'm not sure if any of you have had the privilege of going or attending um, sitting in on a class, visiting. Uh, it's a, a wonderful uh, institution, wonderful faculty, wonderful student body. Um, I'm so, so grateful to be there. Um, and, and there are times where it's hard, too, for sure. I love my family. I, I miss my family. I wish so badly I could hop in the car and just go see them for Thanksgiving, for Fourth of July, for whatever it might be, a weekend. Um, so I, I miss them. There are times when it's hard, but these are the kinds of things that I, I tell myself to remember. God brought you here. God providentially, sovereignly, he's provided for you. He's sustained you. He's helped you. He's, he brought you here. His hand was involved in all of these events, and it's so useful to remember those kinds of things, to give gratitude to God, to trust him when things don't make sense. Um, and that's certainly true and certainly happens. Well, that's, um, 
I don't know what time, uh, yeah, I think it's about time I'm supposed to stop. Um, um, and yeah, they asked me if you guys had any questions. Any questions from um, what I've said? Be happy to try to answer. What's, what's the average class size? Average class would be about 30 to 35 people. Sorry. And there's, uh, I think, 100 and, there might be about 130. Uh, there's a number in my mind that is 136, but I think it's around 130 total at the seminary. But yeah, average class size around 30, 35 or so. Talk about your worship, because I know a lot of students end up at New Life, and you said you had a, a different experience. Yes, I, so I attend um, Escondido United Reformed Church. Uh, it's a wonderful church body. Um, love the people there. Um, pastor Gordon and Pastor Contreras are the two ministers at the, um, at the church. Um, I, sorry? Yes, yeah, 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 URC Church. So yeah, I'm, people usually ask me this. They're like, you're a PCA kid. You know, why, what are you doing uh, over with those guys? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, you know, the church is a wonderful church. Both, you know, New Life and the uh, URC Church and other Presbyterian and URC churches are all confessional, all reformed. So there's no differences there. But I, th I, th yeah, the morning and evening worship, morning and evening worship at the URC. The people uh, welcomed me. They they invited me into their homes, invited me to meals, lunches, dinners during the week. Um, I never felt like a stranger when I walked into this church. Um, the congregation really felt like my family, and, and it really felt familiar. Um, nothing in Southern California feels familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Alabama is a different place, but that church uh, felt so familiar. Uh, the people were so kind and, and um, hospitable, friendly to strangers, um, welcomed me in. Uh, and I love the services of worship of two, as I've mentioned, confessional and reformed, expositional preaching, uh, morning and evening worship. Um, it just, yeah, but I, I think that that was a, something that encouraged me to attend that church was Nothing else in Southern California feels familiar, um, but, but this body of believers does. It, it, they reminded me so much of uh, my church family back home. Well, first of all, thank you for this lesson. It just so happens that I am providentially teaching on the Heidelberg questions 27 and 28 hmm. regarding God's providence tonight for my small group. And one of the things... You know, the, uh, the learning process, I think I got it covered theologically. I read a lot of theology. I'm kind of a theology geek. But I'm always learning something new. And one of the terms that I learned this go around, it's called meticul God's meticulous providence. Hmm. And it really shocked me how many Reformed people, oh, yeah, God's providence, but they don't believe in God's meticulous that he controls every little single atom in the universe. Have you had you ever heard of the meticulous? I have not, no. Google so, it. You will okay. be amazed. I will. <laughs> I mean, there's like, a, I'll give you an example. Do you know who Wyatt Graham is? He's a, he's a reformed pastor in Canada, and he okay. has a great website. I love him. 
and it just so happens he's had a couple of blog entries on God's providence and, you know, primary and secondary causes and all that. And I was startled that he didn't believe in God's meticulous providence. Mm -hmm. So that's my new word. That's my new meticulous. thing. It's meticulous, man. Yes. It's down to the... Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Exactly. And I think the Bible's full of that, but yes, I just wanted... I'm excited about that meticulous providence, so I wanted to share it with you. So I, I have three more years. So, yeah, so I'm in my first of four years. So I still have a, a ways to go. But some people do it in three. I, I'm not smart enough to do it in three. I prefer the four-year track. Um, so I'm very thankful for that. You're not alone on the four-year track. Um, <laughs> the, uh, how many of your units transferred from RTS without any issues? <clears throat> yeah, that, that was also part of the chaos of wanting to switch to go to Westminster. The language classes um, did not transfer. Uh, they give you the opportunity to test out. So it's almost like, okay, you took your classes, we'll prove it to us, you know, if you really know your stuff. And that was what made the summer leaving Alabama and coming out here so chaotic was I drove in to the seminary on a Sunday night, July 18th, and my Greek exam to test out of a four credit class was the next morning at 9 a.m. And I had to take my brother to the airport at 7 a.m. the next morning. <laughs> so I was like, good night. I really hope I passed this test. Um, thankfully, I did. But um, yeah, the language classes, they don't, they don't transfer. The other classes that I took transfer as electives, but not as the actual classes. So I, I took about three other systematic classes and those just transferred as electives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, RTS is great. I, I loved I loved my time at RTS. Loved the professors and the classes that I had. The I, I the one of the the issues, so I took the first three classes I took Actually, I'll just put it this way. Um, my first class in seminary was with Dr. Sinclair Ferguson on Ecclesiology and Sacraments, Systematic 5, I believe. His opening words in the lecture were, systematicians and seminaries always reserve the study of the church at the very end of their experience or their writing. And uh, he said it's not usually a good idea to start your seminary experience with the doctrine of the church. And I remember thinking, this is my first class, uh, Dr. Ferguson. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. But that class really should be at the end of your seminary experience because it, especially the systematics, it pulls in and ties together history and Greek and Hebrew and languages and um, obviously the theology and everything. I didn't have any history. I didn't have any languages at this point. So my professor's talking about what happened in uh, the Reformation debates between Luther and Zwingli and Calvin on the supper and, and what happened at Nicaea with uh, Athanasius and the Arians. And I'm thinking, I haven't had these courses yet. You know, I kind of know what you're saying, but not, not to the degree that I probably should. So it was in light of that when I remember thinking, I, I, wish, I wish I could go a little bit deeper 
RTS is fantastic. If I took those classes at the end of seminary, I, I think it would have been great, but it was in God's providence, the fact that I took them right at the beginning made me feel like I need to redo some of these over so I can get the full grasp of some of these classes. So, yeah, that was, that was it. Well, I'm not sure what time I'm supposed to, I think 10.15 was when they told me to uh, cut it, but if, um, if you have any other questions, please feel free to ask me um, during the break or after the service. Um, let's close in prayer, though. Heavenly Father, we uh, praise you and thank you that you are a providential and sovereign God, uh, that you are meticulously involved in every event, every conversation, every accident, every uh, issue, everything that takes place in our lives. Father, you are uh, orchestrating and organizing and executing. And Father, even in the, especially in the difficult seasons and dark days of providence, we pray that you would give your people, uh, your church, faith to trust you in the midst of those. When life feels chaotic, when life feels dark, Father, please continue to supply the grace that is necessary to trust uh, your providence and trust your plan with your people. Prepare us for worship now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.